0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics, they talk, we listen.
1: Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a 100 billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes.
0: In the next few weeks over this period, I would like to introduce new followers to some of the past guests of his talk and in parallel, some of the great conversations I've had with C-suites of multinationals about the topics of the day in their area of business. I do hope you enjoy this Look Back series and I have enjoyed sharing the first set of Look Back episodes late last year and very early this year. Um, There will be two guests in each episode, and they will be introduced accordingly. This episode um, of the Look Back series, well, this time around is with two very different but equally exciting guests. The first is Claudia Cordioli, Group CFO, um, Swiss Re. There was a lot of back and forth to get this episode recorded with Claudia's busy schedule, we made it in the end. I just love her down-to-earth nature and style, a, a very good conversation. Have a listen.
2: Yeah, there's multiple efforts uh, and uh, it's quite an exciting area actually to, uh, you know, to to, to look into uh, right now. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, it is in fact a societal uh, challenge and a huge societal uh, opportunity as well. So. Um, We've been actually looking at it from three angles, uh, Elaine. So one side is the asset side. As you can imagine, as reinsurance, uh, we do manage uh, a very large balance sheet. And we manage a a, a huge Mm -hmm. amount of assets and investments. uh, So we can make a difference there. At the same time, of course, uh, we provide protection, risk protection, and volatility protection to insurance companies. So we've got underwriting as another means to, to be active in the society. And then uh, the third aspect is our own operation. We are, we are a very large player in the industry. We've got mm-hmm. employees uh, on a global scale. So we also have, of course, operations that generate emissions and we want to take a first step ourselves before we, we preach to others what they should do. So we've been active on, on uh, all three aspects and we started collaborations on all three of them. Um, on the asset side, Um, We started in 2017, actually, I think we are one of the uh, true, if not pioneers, but early movers uh, on the ESG uh, side. So we started looking at our investment portfolio uh, from an ESG uh, standpoint uh, already four years ago. Mm -hmm. And then later on, as as the industry started to shift progressively uh, into that uh, space and and that mindset, we co-founded the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, which is a, a major uh, uh, investor coalition, if you will, with almost 50 members.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the the um, uh, the alliance, the the um, uh, the scope of the alliance is really to uh, to reach the net zero emission by 2050, as I mentioned before. And the 50 members that committed to that uh, want to to do that for their entire asset portfolio. And as, as you can imagine, this is. Uh, a major way, actually, to influence the way our society is looking at, at climate risk and the businesses that create climate risk, right? With everything that goes into that.
0: Mm-hmm. At
2: the same time, what we've done—I mentioned uh, as well—we are one of the largest underwriters. So, from a, from a from an insurance underwriting perspective, also there we we um, we are part of a major uh, alliance. Uh, uh, it's um, it's the Net Zero Insurance Alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, in July 2021, so very recently, we we, um, uh, we announced that this alliance is, is pledging to do the same effectively on the underwriting side. Um, and mm-hmm. the participants to this alliance are the biggest uh, insurance and reinsurance uh, players, so the, the, the big names that are thinking alike, right? And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, the role of insurance and reinsurance in the society uh, is as well to, to fund, to cover to hedge very large uh, projects. So there's no bridge that's getting built. There's no you know, major yeah. major innovation that's happening without reinsurance and, and insurance backing them. Mm-hmm. So the hope is that through our underwriting choices, we also help society to make a shift uh, towards a more green uh, um, you know, mindset. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I mean, it's, it's something that we do step by step. We gave ourselves uh, intermediate targets. Uh, mm-hmm. every participant has got their own way to to comply with it and of course execution would be super important Elaine, uh, but mm-hmm. definitely we share our target and it's super important that we do that because it's the only way to really move the society it's a, it's a compounding uh, forces that that, that that we need to uh, to, to achieve mm-hmm. last but not least um, I think we also need to uh, to work alongside uh, public policy um, mm-hmm. This, these are not risks that can be borne by, uh, by the, the, the private sector alone, right? Um, mm-hmm. you've, you've been, um, I'm, yeah. I'm sure, watching the development of uh, what has happened in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, just a few weeks back with, uh, with the hurricanes. In Europe, we've seen quite some disruption as well through, through mm-hmm. floods in, in June and July. We just see more and more of those climate change-driven uh, developments and, and losses. And this is something that while the industry is very happy to uh, to support, of course, mm. and, and uh, help covering, it cannot just be uh, put on, yes. on, on the back of the uh, private industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, was, I was going to ask you about sort of the, the different types of products and, and packages that arise out of the the current period we're living in, as you can see, with with the climate change, and you talk about the effects of the Orican. You've also talked about, which is um, fantastic, uh, it sort of feeds into the next question, about some of the collaborations you have when you mentioned the Net Zero Asset Ownership Alliance, as well as the Net Zero Insurance uh, 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 Alliance. But sort of, how will your products and packages differ to what you currently have in your portfolio?
2: And that's a very interesting question. And I, I think we are trying um, uh, all the time to to, to innovate uh, and come up with more or best best fitting uh, solutions to help our clients. Mm-hmm. And if you think of some uh, lines of business uh, that are literally being, you know, growing as, as we speak, like cyber, for instance, I think the industry has always been at the forefront of innovation and trying to be an enabler of, of innovation. When it comes to... Uh, to climate change. I mean, some very specific uh, covers and products that we are, de- we are developing
0: uh, mm-hmm.
2: are, for instance, related to um, parametric covers mm-hmm. of some weather related, but also earthquake uh, driven uh, uh, events. Uh, so I'm referring to covers that would essentially uh, in, enable uh, or allow for a much, much faster payment. As mm-hmm. soon as the event happen, yeah. Yeah. happens, there is some, uh, some t- trigger that immediately uh, triggers mm-hmm. the payment without having long uh, claim adjustment processes, for instance. And that enables to, to be very quick in helping uh, the society or the businesses to, to get yeah. back on their feet uh, after a, a catastrophe or, or a loss, that's just one example. There are many other that we are trying to uh, put in place using data uh, mm-hmm. in a much broader, much much more uh, you, you know sustained uh, way than than we did in the past.
0: Now we have Lord Toby Harris from the House of Lords, uh, a formidable character and a direct speaker. This was an interesting insight into the world of preparation for an incident in in a country. Um, Fascinating insights, have a listen.
1: Um, Well, I have to say right from the outset that uh, I feel that as a nation, we've made an historic mistake um, by leaving the European Union and leaving the European Union in the way that we have. Mm. I appreciate that that's a contested view. It happens to be my personal view. I also think there's a real difficulty for any small nation, and let's face it, the United Kingdom is a small nation, we may be punched above our weight in many respects, operating in an um, increasingly uh, complex and difficult world. You need to be part of a grouping. And uh, I know it sounds strange, but I compare it to some of the the things I came across when I was doing research in prisons on the self-inflicted deaths of young people and their vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And I remember one lad saying, uh, (laughs) it was really very graphic. He said, the only way to survive in here, he was in an offender's institution, the only way to survive in here is to find out which is the biggest, baddest gang and join it. And there is an element of that within our international relations. Mm. Um, you know, the European Union uh, is not perfect. It has its uh, um, problems, its bureaucracies, its sloth, its difficult, and, and, and so on. Uh, it's not performed particularly well in terms of vaccines. But what it does have is it brings together all of those nations together to work on things together than to support each other. and. I think that you've got to remember that there are some entities who would like to break that down for all the wrong reasons, Mm. not about Britain being able to stand up on its own, but about weakening the idea of a European Union, of the strength of that European Union, which then makes it easier for other powers, Russia, China and so on, Mm. to operate.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but what is the relationship now with the European counterparts? What you can tell us is it is it business as usual, uh, will it be changed?
1: Well, it's not. I mean, it's slightly too early to say. Because it's not business as usual you know, at the moment because all of the existing linkages have been broken. Um, so I, I, earlier today, I was reading something about the issues around the new the, the replacement in the UK for the European Arrest Warrant. Mm -hmm. We're not part of that system. Um, Some bilateral agreements have been grown and they've been challenged in the courts. So it will take a while for new arrangements to settle down. I think there's a real issue about collaboration between universities Mm -hmm. and working together and particularly the free flow of uh, uh, academics between different countries. That's not been resolved as yet. So all of those things are just much more difficult. There's an added step, several steps to be taken in terms of co- uh, in, in terms of collaboration. So I, I think this is an adjustment process which will go on for se- for quite a number of years, mm-hmm. um, and um, we'll have to see where we end up with once that pro- adjustment process has, has, has been concluded.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so. Let's go to the next question. It's about resilience and lessons learned. Um, What past incidents um, have helped you to augment or improve your responses um, to incidents? For example, with Y2K, what was learned from that? And you know, we talk about lessons learned. Are people actually, or organizations actually learning the lessons? Are you actually using lessons learned to enable you to leapfrog responses to incidents? Provide us with an example, if you can.
1: There's a there's a temptation when you survive an incident that you breathe this huge sigh of relief and get back to normal as quickly as possible. Hmm. Um, and that's, if you manage to do that, that's what I would call passive resilience. We've survived. We've got on with it. But actually, you should be more proactive than that. You should say, okay, we survived that. What are all the things that we identified as that, that we had to get round in a hurry, Mm -hmm. what else do we need to be doing, how else can we make the organisation more agile, more effective in dealing with that, and I think it's that active resilience, that concept of agility, and let's be clear, uh, being prepared for bad things obviously has a cost associated with it, but if you've got the agility as an organisation to respond to those bad things, you've also got the agility to respond to opportunities. And that's very important for a business. It Mm. means you're agile, you're more likely to be successful because you can grab opportunities. And if something bad happens, you can respond to it effectively. Mm. So do we learn? Well, you mentioned um, Y2K, the whole millennium bug issue. Um, The tragedy is, we've just published a paper as the National Preparedness Commission on this. The tragedy is it's gone into popular mythology that um, the whole Y2K, Millennium Bug thing was almost a hoax. Yes. Because nothing very much happened. Planning worked. On Millennium (laughs) Eve. And that's exactly the point. The planning worked. (laughs) The preparations, the very substantial investment that had taken place, had dealt with most of the potential um, crises that might happen. But things did slip through the net. There were a number of nuclear power stations around the world which stopped functioning. There were um, in, the, in the UK some of the um, air traffic control things didn't function on the night in question. It wasn't a big disaster because it was possible to reset them. And as it happened, not many planes were flying um, over that night because they were just a little bit nervous that something something might happen. So. The, the, the wrong lesson has been learned from Y2K, which is that oh, it all got o- uh, uh, overhyped. This was a lot, of, a lot of IT consultants trying to make money, uh, telling us to do things which we didn't really need to do. Um, and it was all it was all—it all almost a hoax. The, the reality is you do have to learn lessons. I don't think we're very good at learning lessons. I, every bad incident or everything I've ever been in, somebody comes on and says at the end, we will learn the lessons from this learning the lessons isn't quite enough you've got to do something about those lessons mm-hmm. and when i was i, I referred to moments the work i did in prisons um this was a series of tragic cases looking at the the, uh, the self-inflicted deaths of uh, mm-hmm. young people usually young men who killed themselves in, in prison most the, the the sheer when you looked at the Investigation there was always an investigation after each death. So many of the same things were being said time and time again about ligature fix the ability to fix ligatures in a room, Mm -hmm. about the, the, the warning signs, and so on. They were there, the lessons weren't learned, they were identified, but nobody did anything about it. And there's a terrible temptation to say, Okay, this has been awful. What can we be seen to have done? We've, we've learned all these lessons. Who's actually following through with what did emerge from those incidents and made sure that it's embodied into current practice?
0: Mm-hmm. And I suppose people probably think there's a cost attached to the actions that are required post the lessons learned and who's, and in whose budget space who will, will be managing that? All sorts of things. That's probably why you get this sort of repeat incidents, I mean as you mentioned, with the prison system.
1: Oh, yes, I mean, inevitably it is who's going to pay. Yes. Um, And if it's something, and and it becomes even more difficult if it's something which doesn't happen very often or may never, um, um, you know, has never happened before. Mm -hmm. So we're investing money now for something which we may not see any benefit of for many years. And even then we Mm -hmm. won't know whether it was the right investment. This is a a difficult call for Mm -hmm. anyone to make. Uh, So you have to build those processes into your organisation so that you can respond effectively to whatever may arise. Uh, And I think that's very difficult for people, um, but it is essentially what you have to do.
0: Now, that concludes this episode of the Look Back series. I hope you enjoyed these snippets. And do check out the full original episodes in the show notes. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C suite leaders, and heads of international.
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.